Amen. Amen. Um, well, we are in, uh, of course, uh, 1 Corinthians. We're, we're navigating through the book of 1 Corinthians. As you guys know, if you've been around here, you know that. If you haven't been here, I'll, I'll just briefly catch us up real quick. Um, we, we have been um, looking at a, a letter that Paul has written. Paul, of course, being uh, really the, probably the most famous um, church planner, missionary that's probably ever lived. Um, he, of course, writes three quarters of the New Testament. And uh, we, we journeyed together as a church through the book of Acts. And uh, we, we got to really see and unpack um, Paul and, and, and the life of Paul. And now we're looking at one of the letters that he has uh, written to a church that he planted on his first missionary journey. And uh, Paul is uh, now on his second missionary journey when he's writing this. He's actually in Ephesus, which Ephesus is about 300 miles east uh, across the Aegean Sea. And I, I, I kind of, I, I at least visualize Paul when he's writing this letter. I visualize him, you know, sitting at the coast. Um, he is, he is, I think, in one hand, heartbroken. Um, on the other hand, I don't know that he's real surprised, but he realizes that he needs to address some things that are going on. Uh, I, I imagine that he's visualizing uh, not only, of course, the place, because he was there, right? He spent 18 months there, so he, he was a part of it. He church planted. He did the whole thing. But he's also visualizing the faces, like the people, and the people that he deeply cares for and loves, people that he met, shared the gospel with, and their lives were changed forever. And he's, he's recounting sort of these, these faces and stories as he's uh, putting pen to paper, and he's writing this, and he's addressing some of the concerns and issues and things that he has received already, and now he's going to write, and, and, and really what he's writing, of course, is what we have now as part of the New Testament, but they're going to receive this for the very first time. And this isn't the first letter or the first correspondence that he has with them. Um, we don't have that initial letter, but this is now the, probably, I, I know it's weird because it's 1 Corinthians, but this is the second time that he's actually writing um, to this group. And so he's writing this, this letter, and he's addressing sort of all the things that need to be addressed, uh, the, the issues and the problems, but he's also addressing just questions that they have. You know, they're, they're new to this. Like, this, they, don't, they don't have hundreds and thousands of years of, of, um, uh, of sort of studying and looking and learning, and they don't have what we have today. And so they're, they're trying to figure this out, and they have a lot of questions, and they have a lot of concerns, and they, they don't really know how to deal with a lot of this stuff. And so they're, they're asking all this stuff. So Paul's now going to address that. And, and it really in the first um, half, so the first, not half, the first uh, six chapters, Paul sort of moves and he talks a lot about uh, living un, with unrighteous behavior. And he addresses sort of this whole thing in chapter 5. We talked about that, of, of, of what it looks like to live unrighteous, like what are those unrighteous behaviors, and he addresses those, and he's really camping on sort of sexual immorality is where he ends up camping, and so in chapter six, he spends a lot of time addressing spiritual immaturity on the first half, and then he really gets into sexual immorality, and so today as we close out chapter six, we're going to be talking a lot about sexual immorality. I got to be honest with you, um, after Thanksgiving, like this isn't necessarily what I, what I want to come back to and talk about, right? We go, well, can't we just do a fun Thanksgiving message? And I'm like, yes, we should be thankful. Amen. Let's go, right? But that's not where we're at today. Um, we are in this section, and, and I've just, 
I, I believe it, that we're going to go through God's Word, the difficult parts of it, and the, what we think are maybe the easier parts or the more comfortable parts. But we're going to talk about something that is maybe a little more difficult today. Um, and the reality is, is that it's difficult for every single one of us. I, I said this last week, that today's message, last week's message, it's just hard. It's difficult. And it's difficult because none of us are exempt from this message. We all deal with it. We all struggle with it. It's not hard to comprehend or understand, but it's really, really hard to apply to our lives. Especially when it comes to the topic of sexual immorality. It's really difficult. Because as we know, Jesus took it a step further, did he not? When he says, listen, if you even look at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've already done it. And so he upped the game. And so Paul's going to continue within this, this sort of this context as he's addressing the, the believers in the church in Corinth. Now, we know this because I've said it, but Corinth itself, um, th- this was a, a very, this was a hard topic for them because it was uh, sexual immorality um, was, was very commonplace, but I don't even know that they necessarily saw it as being, co- like, I, as a sin, right? As it being something they should not be doing. It was just sort of the way of life. Um, Corinth is, I always describe it as sort of the modern day Las Vegas. That was the city of Corinth. And so as Paul is, is diving into this, it, it, you can almost feel sort of the tension. I picture them sitting around reading this out loud and, and being really uncomfortable. I can picture somebody reading the, the letter and like pausing at certain point, you know, moments and like looks up and like looks at a certain person, right? Like, like, Oh, that's you. You know, I, I can just, I just, I feel that. I feel the tension. And so as I spend time studying and unpacking this, I'm like, oh, that's got to be really uncomfortable. It's got to be really hard. But I'm so thankful for a gospel message that once we are in Christ, and I want you to hear my heart on this, that once you are in Christ, you are set free. Amen? Like, like even though we struggle and we battle and, and we go back to this, if you're in Christ, you can walk free from guilt, from shame, from the bondage of sin. Too often I hear too many believers saying, well, this is just the way I am. I'm just sort of stuck in this. And that is a weak version of the gospel. That's not the Jesus who went to the cross and died and then conquered death and rose again. That's not that Jesus. Jesus came to do that to set us free. And we're going to talk about that a little bit here in just a moment. All right, so we're ready after all that. Let's jump in here. And let's go. So 1 Corinthians, we'll start um, chapter 6, verse 12. And here we go. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, this was probably a pretty common phrase that Paul used in his preaching and teaching. When he sat with... um, I would say, newer believers or those that were really close to becoming believers. I think he used this a lot. I think he used the phrase, um, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. In fact, in Colossians 2, he says it this way. He says, so do not let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. 
In other words, let me, let me paraphrase that in what I just sort of, what I almost think of when I, when I hear that. Paul's almost saying, listen, when it comes to what you eat or what you drink or what day you decide to worship God on, it's like all things are lawful. Like you have freedom within that. I, I'm at liberty to be able to do that. I can kind of do what I want, kind of when I want, and I shouldn't let anyone put me under bondage. In other words, under sort of this law, that I shouldn't be camped in the law. Remember, he's talking to Gentiles that were told by Jewish religious leaders that the only way they could come to Christ or, or, or make it or be right with God is they had to convert to Judaism. They had to become Jewish in order to do that. Once they became Jewish and they practiced all those different laws, then then they might be able to earn their way into heaven. They might gain salvation that way. The problem was, is that for the believers, they were taking this sort of this phrase, this thing that Paul was teaching, when he would say, listen, all things are lawful. You have freedoms. And then they were applying it to areas that Paul or God never intended that to be applied to. They were using sort of their freedom or, or maybe their freedom in Christ as sort of a license to be able to do what they want. In other words, a license to be able to sin. They were abusing sort of the freedom in Christ. Now, we know we're, we're further along. We, we've been given this, uh, this amazing, amazing um, book we've been given the word of god and we can read this we can study it we can learn like like we know that we have absolute freedom in christ amen we have been set free i mean i just want to read some of these and encourage you second corinthians 3 says this now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom galatians 5 1 for freedom it is for freedom that christ has set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's good news. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedoms as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That's good news. Like, I, I feel like we could just end right there. We can just pray and eat some pizza, decorate the church, and we can get out of here, right? Like, that's, that's good news. I, I'm excited that, that Christ came and he set you and I free. That is good news. If you're in Christ, you're free from guilt, you're free from shame, um, you're free from sin. You have freedom to enjoy all that comes from God. But we're not to abuse that freedom. You see, abusing it can cause harm to ourselves, and it can cause harm to others. Come on, we know this, right? This is basic stuff. We, we, we know that um, we have freedom to eat whatever we want. Amen? Some of you used that freedom this last week. I used that freedom this last week. But we also know that eating too much can cause issues. It can cause obesity. It, it can cause uh, a lot of health damages. We know that. Listen, you, this, may, this may bother some of you. I may offend. You may want to come talk to me after church today. There, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that you cannot drink alcohol. You, you can have alcohol. We know this. 
This is a gray area within the, the Bible. But too much of it can cause us, can cause you to, to be addicted. It can cause alcoholism, and, and it can lead you down a road that will destroy you. It could destroy your family, your career, your entire life. We know that. So there is some freedom there, but we have to be careful not to abuse the freedoms that God has given us. All right, let's keep going, because I could spend time on that. Verse 13, it says this. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is, met, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. What an interesting way to start that section of scripture. Food for the stomach and stomach for the foods. Most likely some sort of motto or slogan that was used in this day. It was very common um, phrasing that, that they would use. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. It's kind of like the phrase that we use today, right? I don't eat to live. I live to eat, right? Come on, I'm a foodie, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, the, the foodie type, right? I don't eat to live. I live to eat. I want to enjoy the fine things. Look at my Instagram page. Check out all my pictures of my food. You know, like this is the stuff that people do today. It's very similar. This was a very common phrase or a slogan that was used in this day. The food for stomach and the stomach for foods. The people of Corinth were using this phrase as justification to giving, what their, giving their bodies what they like, wanted, what they desired. My body wants food, so I eat. Very basic stuff. And we look at that and we go, well, that's not a big deal. The problem was they were taking it a step further, as Paul is addressing here. They were also using the same sort of slogan or phrase when it came to sex. My body wants sex, so I hire a prostitute. What's the problem? What's the big deal? My, my stomach is, is there. My body is there to enjoy some of the finer things, the foods and things like that. So when I'm hungry, I, I eat. I just, I, just, I just partake. It's not a big deal. Same thing applies, right? When it comes to my body desiring sex, I just go out and I fulfill that need. I hire a prostitute. Sex for the body and body for sex. It was a psychological choice. Listen, understand this. They were viewing sexuality, sexuality the same way. They were viewing it as a natural desire that God gave each and every person. Just like God gave sort of the natural ability that our bodies get hungry, our bodies also desire sex. And they were using it the same way. They're going, listen, when I'm hungry, I go eat. When I want sex, I go fulfill that need as well. And Paul is getting ready to correct their thinking. Paul's not going to let them use this sort of slogan or motto that was, that was tossed around a whole bunch in that day. He's saying, listen, you don't get to apply that slogan 
that's used for sort of irrelevant food restrictions and apply that same thing to sexual immorality. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now think about this because we talked about this a whole bunch. We know about Corinth. We know what it was like. We know that the temple of Aphrodite was on the hill. There was over a thousand prostitutes that were a part of this temple, and they would come down in the evenings, and they would go, and that's how they made money, and they would give the money back to the temple. And so people of that day, now Corinth is a very hustle-bustle city. It's a, it's a trade route. It's, it's a major route. So there was people there all the time. And so you had prostitutes coming down at night. You had men and women indulging themselves um, in those practices. And some within this church believed that it was acceptable and it was okay under their freedom in Christ to be able to indulge in this. And Paul is taking this motto, sort of the slogan, food for the body and the body for food, and he's equating it with sexuality. And he's saying no. He's saying that's not how this works. In fact, you need to remember that Christ paid the ultimate price for you. You were bought at a very high price. You belong to him. You are his. He died on that cross for you. Sex is a gift from God. So he's saying glorify God with your body. In other words, what God has given, the gift of sex, and every other good gift that God has bestowed and given to us, everything that God has given must be God-governed. All of it. Now, I find it very fascinating that he says, one day God will destroy our stomachs. <laughs> Michael, I wish you would have done that last week, you know what I mean? To be honest with you. He's really talking about that one day we will no longer be dependent, which I find very strange, that we're not going to be dependent on food as we, uh, as we pass on. But yet we read in the Bible talking about food in heaven and partaking, which I find very interesting to me. Listen, I, I just want to say this. God does not forbid sexual immorality to be mean, difficult. Um, he's not up there like just going, man, I want to make life just no fun for all my kids. God knows the power of sexual immorality to destroy both us as humans physically, but also to destroy us spiritually. I mean, we know the physical part, right? We know what sexual immorality can do, how it can destroy. Everything from uh, disease to some of the hot topic, political, which is not, to me, it's not political, but we've viewed it as political when it comes to the abortion things that we're talking about now. Um, all of those kind of things are a result, right, of sexual immorality. That's what that is. Now, I, I know there's certain cases that it's not. I understand that. So that's, that's my disclaimer. But for the most part, that's where that comes from. We, we drill it deeper into it. It is a basis of sexual immorality. And, and then we know what happens on the spiritual side, the, the immediate sort of separation that happens between God. Because let's be honest, the, the moment that happens, the moment that we 
uh, feel guilty and we feel shameful and we want to go into hiding and we, we want to stay away from God. We don't want to be around God. We don't want God to see us and notice us because we, we feel so much guilt and shame. Sexual immorality has destroyed countless lives. It has destroyed marriages. It has destroyed families. It has destroyed churches. It's destroyed communities. It's destroyed nations. It is so destructive, and God knows that. And that's, that's why God is setting up guardrails. That's why he puts them in place. I love the mountains. When I drive in the mountains, and I'm going over some of those, um, those steep mountain passes, and you've got those turns, and you're looking out, and I don't know about you, but I get a little, sometimes I have some anxiety when I'm driving some of those mountain passes, because I look out, and all you see is a cliff and nothing else for a long ways away, and it kind of makes me nervous. I've never looked at one of those guardrails and thought, man, you know what? I wish they'd get rid of that thing. I wish that was not there. Like, as much as I like driving on snowy, icy roads in the mountains, that I could just be coming around a curve and slide right off to my, you know, impending death. Right? I don't go, man, I wish the guardrail was gone. You know what I think? I go, I'm really grateful for that guardrail. I'm so thankful. In fact, there's been moments, because I drive a truck, it's a little taller, I'm thinking, you know, I wish the guardrail was just a little bit higher, just to make sure that I don't hit it and go over. And, and it's a little bit how I think of what God sees. Let, parents, we know this. Everything we do for our kids, the, the, the parameters we put in place, is not because we want to be mean and abusive parents. It's because we have such deep love and care for our kids. We want the best for them, no matter what. And this is exactly what, what, what God, how he views us, his kids. It's like, man, I put things in place not to be mean, not, not to hold you back, but I want you to live your best life. I want you to walk in the freedoms that you were meant to walk in. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. I love that he says, do you not know? He says, do you not know? Because they didn't know. They just simply didn't know. He's like telling me, because guys, do you not know? Like, I, I want to inform you. I, I'm here, I'm writing this because I'm, it sounds like Paul's being mean and he's just coming down on him. Paul is writing this out of love. He cares for this church. He planted it. He's seeing the people, the faces. He's going, Man, I remember this person and this person. I remember when they came to Christ. I remember the life they used to live, and they came to Christ, and now they're living differently. He goes, I don't want you to keep going back to this old way of living, of living in bondage. He goes, do you not know? They had no idea the effect that the sexual immorality was having on their relationship with Christ. It was putting a wedge between them and what God had for them. Uh, Wearsby says it this way. He says, sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it is not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into the bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. 
Paul reminds them that your bodies, our bodies, our physical bodies right now, are members of Christ. They belong to him, you belong to him. And then he goes into verse 18, and I I love what he says here. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, it's outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. I think the wording that Paul uses here is so critical. He says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say, hey, listen, when you're tempted or this becomes something that you're dealing with, he doesn't say, hey, stand firm. He doesn't say, hey, put your foot in the ground, and I I think you're going to get through it. He doesn't say, man, if you just do these couple things, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. He goes, no, no, no. You need to flee. Like, run. Like, use Joseph out of Genesis 39 as the example. Turn and run in the other direction. Get as far away from it as you possibly can. Do you know why? Because he knows how quickly we and they will fall to this. It's just a reality. <laughs> Look, I know how quickly I can be tempted and fall to this. I have to flee from this stuff. I have to set up parameters, guardrails. I have to talk to my wife about it. Like, I'm very honest and very open. We are very open about this stuff. This is something we do not want to mess with. And Paul says, listen, don't even mess around with it. Just flee from it. Now, I get really passionate, and I know I, I, you know, I get maybe a little more excited. Let me say this. God gave us sex. It's from him. It's an amazing gift. It, it is from God. It is a gift for a husband and wife to enjoy. It's, it's, it's awesome. In fact, Hebrews 13.4 uh, 13, says that the marriage bed is undefiled. The sexual relationship between husband and wife, it is pure, it is holy, and it is good before God. Okay? If you're married in the room, do it more. I was hoping for an amen. (laughs) I set you up there, guys. Right? Like, I know, it's weird. Like, you go, should we say that? I'm like, yes. It's from God. It's it's, It's an amazing gift. Hallelujah. I thank God for it. It's awesome. Enjoy it, okay? But sexual immorality works against God's original design, his good purpose. Sex outside of marriage, like, and I hear this all the time. I, you know, I've met with people, counsel people and stuff, and, and, you know, I always get the same thing. Listen, they always go, man, but, but man, I'm having fun. It's exciting. And I'm like, I know. You're right. I'm not going to say it's not. Like, yes, you're right. But at some point, it, it will be devastating. It will destroy you. And it'll have lasting ramifications. It just will. At some point. And that's why Paul reminds us, and he's telling us, he's telling them, he's saying, listen, flee from this stuff. The Greek word that um, Paul uses here is the Greek word, it's uh, porinia, which you can get an idea of exactly where that, where we get our English word, uh, Pornography from? Paul is not just addressing sexual intercourse here. He's addressing sort of a wide range of of sexual sin. Can I just encourage some of you today that 
when it comes to this idea or this thought of sexual immorality, sometimes we can get that it's just sort of the, the, the between a, uh, the, the man and woman, that if there's physical contact, that's sexual immorality. And it, Jesus, of course, we know, takes that to another level. Sexual immorality, for you, it may mean that you have to adjust some things in your life. It, it may mean there's some things in your life that you may need to get rid of. There are certain shows that you watch that you may need to get out of your life right now. There's certain uh, things on your phone that you may need to get rid of. You may need to ask somebody, talk to somebody, get an accountability partner. Listen, my wife and I have had these conversations for years. There are certain ratings of shows we just block and don't even watch. We, we just we get them out of our house. We set up those parameters. We're like, we, we don't even go there. For us right now, it's, it's anything rated R. We just don't watch it because it's filth and junk for us. We know it. It's just too much. I'm not saying that's what you should do. I'm just saying that for me, I just set up some parameters, right? I have to flee from that stuff. I have to get away from it. I just go, I'm not even going to let that stuff get into our house, into my mind, into my heart. I'm not going to allow it. I will not give the enemy even a, a step in. And that may be some of you. Some of you, like, as soon as I'm talking about it, you, you may have some things that you go, that, I got to get rid of that, I got to get rid of this. Some of you that are married, and if you haven't done this, you need to have a conversation with your spouse. If you don't have those conversations, I'm encouraging right now that today at some point you have a conversation with your spouse. Listen, I, I don't want you living in guilt and shame anymore. God does not want, want you living in guilt and shame. He wants to free you from this. And there's something amazing that happens when we bring what is in the dark into the light. Satan no longer has stronghold over that. The moment it comes out, he doesn't have stronghold. And it's incredible the amount of freedom we get when we bring this to people. All right, let me say this. I'll just keep reading. Verse 19. Are you, do, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Do you know your body is a temple? I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of days where I, I'm like, I don't feel like my body's a temple. I'm getting older, I just don't feel like a temple. But your body's a temple. What's a temple? A temple is a place sacred to God and pure from immorality. You go back to the Old Testament, and you read about the temple and what that looks I mean, that's what it is. If that's true, that we are filled with God's Spirit, if we carry His Holy Spirit, which makes us the place, His temple, then this truth must influence our thought patterns, the actions and the choices that we make in all areas, including sexual immorality. If we commit sexual immorality, we're polluting God's temple. It's, it's pretty simple. Now remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote to the church. He told the church, kind of as a whole, he says, listen, he says, you now, as a whole, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, he takes that a step further later on. 
And he says, in the same way, you as individuals carry the Holy Spirit within you. You are God's temple. Why? Because your body is not your own. My body is not my own. It belongs to God. If it belongs to God, then we should take better care. Right? Let me, let me illustrate this. Steve, an um, amazing guy. We're talking about sexual immorality, and I point somebody out, everyone gets really nervous. <laughs> Steve is uh, incredible. Generous guy, amazing guy. And so I know that Steve, if, if my truck broke down, Steve would be so generous, and he would go, man, JB, I just, I want to bless you for a week, and I'll let you borrow my truck. Steve, that's very kind of you, by the way, that you would do that. I just, I think the world of you, right? I really do. That's, that's amazing. Um, what Steve doesn't know is that I have grown up, and I've been taught, you always leave things better than the way you found them. So Steve let me borrow his truck. Man, I am going to take great care of your truck. I will baby that truck more than probably you baby that truck. I'll make sure that truck does not get a ding or a scratch or anything. In fact, when I'm done borrowing your truck, it's going to have a full tank of diesel, not just gas, diesel. Have you seen diesel prices lately? Holy smokes, right? That's a lot of money. So I'm going to fill that thing up, so probably like 200 bucks, right, to fill it up. I'm going to wash it. I'm going to vacuum it, clean it. I mean, it's going to look amazing. Your rims will be polished. There'll be armor all around the tires. It'll be incredible. You'll get it back and go, man, this truck's looks better now than when I gave it to you to borrow. Right? <laughs> yes. I want him over. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I'm really excited to borrow your truck. Listen, I... An honest person, they take care of the things that don't belong to them. Something that someone lets them borrow. You take care of it. Come on, we've all let somebody borrow something, and we've gotten it back, and they've actually ruined it or, or caused more damage to it. And you, you know how frustrating that is? You know how much you just want to go and just, like, light them up for it? You're like, what? Did, you owe me a new one, right? It's so frustrating. But, man, when you let somebody borrow something and they take really good care of it, in fact, they bring it back better than, than the way that you gave it to them. You're like, man, you can borrow something anytime. Just like Steve said, you can, you can borrow my truck anytime. And I think about that's, that's how we should view these right here. Our physical bodies. And man, these are on loan from God. These are on loan. If you are in Christ, you carry God's Holy Spirit within you. I don't know that we can fully on this side of eternity ever really comprehend what that means. I wish I was smarter and I had more ability to unpack that for us where we could all just get it and walk out of here and go, man, I understand that. That's going to be between you and God, but man, God has given us these and they are on loan and God wants the best. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. He wanted that for the church in Corinth, for all believers to live in freedom. And so, yes, God has set up some guardrails and parameters for our lives so that we can live our best life. 
So glorify God with your body. Glorify him. I mean, it almost feels like he's picking on any kind of sexual sin, does it not? I mean, I feel like Paul spent a lot of time sort of in this camp. I mean, I'm, I, at some point as I've been unpacking this and it's Thanksgiving, I'm like, Paul, could you talk about something else? I'd really like that. But I think he keeps talking about it and he talks about it a whole bunch in his letters because he knows the dangers and he knows how every single human being on planet Earth that's ever walked on planet Earth, that ever will walk on planet Earth, except for Jesus, will fall to this. It affects every one of us. That's why Paul told Timothy, he says, hey, listen, keep radical separation from sexual sin. In 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, so flee, here's that word again, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Church, remember that you've been redeemed at a high cost. Let me say that again. You have been redeemed at a high cost. But not just to be redeemed and stop there. You've been redeemed because you have a high calling on your life. You have been called to do incredible works. Do you believe that? You've been called to do, you were bought and redeemed to do good works, amazing works. Listen, this is plan A when it comes to reaching the world for the gospel message. There is nothing else that God has created in his image. There is nothing else that God breathed life into. It's us. When God wants to do a work, he calls each and every one of us to do good works. We are his, as Ephesians says, his workmanship. Amen? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. As I end this right now, I just want to say this. If, as I've been talking, you've been feeling this sort of this guilt and shame, man, please hear my heart. That is not my heart today, and I really hope you don't feel that. My prayer, though, is that every single one of us, myself included, that as we open God's word, that God's word is about correcting, convicting, teaching. That's what God's word does. It does it in my, every time I open it. It's doing that in my life, and I'm praying that it does it in your life, despite sort of my flawed efforts up here. I pray that happens for you. And so if you're someone that goes, man, I've been battling this, any kind of sexual immorality, if you've been battling this, can I just say this, that today you can have freedom, ultimate freedom. So my challenge for you today as, as the band comes back up here is that I just would ask that you begin to let God begin to work on your heart and on your mind. And maybe for you it's that you need to go to somebody today and confess that and ask for prayer. Maybe have a conversation for somebody. Because I'm telling you right now, church, that needs to come back out into the light so that way, that way you can be set free. And that's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be set free from this. Amen? Church, I love you guys. Will you stand to your feet? Let me pray over you, and we're going we're gonna to sing this last song. Father, I thank you for your, your word. I thank you that even in the tough, almost sort of uncomfortable uh, moments within your word, there's so much grace and mercy that you just, that it's just, it's just woven throughout the entire thing. 
that God, even though it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult at times, God, none of us from today's topic are, are, uh, are free from this. All of us struggle, every single one of us. Young and old, we all struggle. And so, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus as, as the band plays, God, that you, you just pour out your spirit on this place. God, that we sense and we just know that there's freedom in you, that we can find healing, we can find forgiveness, and we can be set free, that Satan has no authority over our lives. None in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. Everybody said, amen.